Welcome to the Women Governance Gurus podcast, where we listen to the journeys of women working in the field of corporate governance, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Courtney Camlet, and my co-host is Liz Dunchy. Hi, everyone. Liz and I are both passionate about governance and want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion. Hear what has surprised them over their career and various perspectives from different paths and industries. For this episode, we're talking with Yorgita Ashley. Yorgita is co-chair of the Public Companies Group at Thompson Hine, where she represents public companies as well as small-cap activists. Yorgita, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, Yorgita, tell us about your path to becoming co-chair of the Public Companies Group at Thompson Hine and how you ended up representing small-cap activists alongside the more typical public company work. I have been with the same law firm, Thompson Hine, for the past 15 years. We are an AMLAW 200 law firm that's headquartered in Cleveland, Ohio, but we also have offices in New York, Chicago, D.C., and other cities. So when I first started for the first couple of years, I did a little bit of everything in corporate. I did general corporate, M&A, securities, really liked securities and gravitated towards that area. Then eventually I ended up focusing on securities, corporate governance, and then also shareholder activism. So was to shareholder activism, I was asked to help out with a campaign more than a decade ago now. But it was a pretty egregious case. There was some really bad behavior by the company, financial mismanagement, nepotism, failure of internal controls, and sort of really lack of any meaningful corporate governance. So we ended up winning that campaign, and then the word sort of spread around. We focus on small cap companies, and we can do these campaigns on the budget. Our clients end up saying that we have the same quality as New York firms, but at a quarter of the cost. So that's that's how I ended up getting into the shareholder activism. It was it was a really interesting time. At the time of that first campaign, shareholder activism was still evolving, especially in the small cap space. And then I found the entire area fascinating. It combined a lot of my interests. You have to be you have to be a good securities lawyer. You have to know corporate governance. And then there is this additional strategic element to it as well. Oh, that sounds great. So you've been doing that for over a decade at your firm. Yeah, it's really starting to add up. That sounds fascinating, especially the strategic element I think would be really interesting. It's a a little bit of a different practice area, but it's almost not 100% legal, but really, really interesting. Yeah, so when you're representing an activist, how do you view your role? How much do you get involved in setting the strategies? So it is very much strategic. We usually get involved very early on when the activist is still deciding what steps to take, whether or not to proceed with the campaign. And at the the initial stage, we review the company's documents and filings. We look at the company's performance, ownership, corporate governance, and then see what actions would accomplish the activist objectives best. Sometimes it's a campaign, sometimes it's something else. On both on both sides, it's definitely very much strategic. 
if the campaign is going forward, we help with putting together a board slate and then everything that goes with it. We prepare the nomination notice. We help with the communications with the shareholders, with proxy advisors, the company itself. Also, we also see if there are any document requests or any litigation that may be necessary. Then if the campaign is progressing, we'll also work on the proxy statement and other SEC filings. We end up handling all communications with the SEC, help out with the meeting process, and then get involved in the settlement discussions and so forth. On the company side, uh, timing of our involvement varies more. Sometimes we get involved at the preparation stage just to make sure that the company has a plan and tools in place in case it faces activism down the road. At other times, we come in when the company sees that an activist is accumulating a position in its stock. Yet at other times, it's not until an activist, activist sends a letter to the company or files a press release or files a 13D. But to get back to the gist of your question, I think on either side, it would be very, very difficult to be effective if our involvement were limited to making SEC filings. Oh, it sounds like you really are involved on the activist side from the very beginning all the way through and have just such great experience um, and learning throughout all of it. Absolutely. I think it would be it would be difficult to be impactful or effective on the company side if it, if it was more typical securities type of role. Yeah, and I imagine that experience is very valuable to your public company clients, too, In, like you said, in preparing for activist campaigns, whether it's down the road or something that they're facing imminently, to have your perspective as someone who's worked with activists, even as they might feel, you know, conflicted <laughs> about um, sort of supporting that work, but I imagine that they benefit from it quite a bit. Yeah, we found, we found a lot of synergies over the years. For the public company clients, it's really helpful because we can have we can have an initial phone call, and oftentimes we sort of can lay out how we think the campaign would go or what activists would do next, yeah. or how best to defend the campaign. Yeah. So I know you might not be able to name names, but can you tell us about the craziest activist campaign that you've been involved with? <laughs> well, that that's a great question because as you can imagine, there have been quite a few. <laughs> We worked on we worked on a really interesting campaign in March and early April of this year. We represented the activists who were successful in obtaining board representation and de facto control at a public company based in Hawaii. And then the campaign was the campaign was reported as being the first proxy fight won by the activists in the United States during the COVID nineteen pandemic. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, definitely fun. A lot of unique issues involved, and we, we definitely had to plan for multiple contingencies. Any other time, I would hope that you could travel to Hawaii, but I guess this time you probably couldn't. I was going to say, how unfair. <laughs> like, any other time, it would have been amazing. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, and the company was holding the meeting in person. It did not, it did not change the virtual meeting. Wow. It, 
and the meeting was scheduled to be held in Hawaii. And at the same time, all of us, the activists, all advisors, and for that matter, even a majority of the board of directors was based out of state. And then the meeting, the meeting was coming up as the pandemic was accelerating. And then the governor of Hawaii issued a two-week quarantine order for anybody entering the state. So, so we, there we were with an in-person meeting, no ability to get there, and really no certainty whether a meeting could even be validly held with social distancing and other orders that were in place at that time. Right. So what happened? We had to work out how to submit our nominations, how to submit the votes that our side held, and also how to ensure that the votes for the meeting would be accurately tabulated. So we ended up making some electronic arrangements with the company, and then we also found really great Hawaii Council who served as our in-person representative at the meeting. Nice. Like I said, we wanted to make sure that we had every contingency covered. So lots of lots of interesting paperwork involved there, but that's that I think is for a different podcast. <laughs> that's an interesting pivot that you had to make, but that sounds like you guys, with all the contingency planning, could easily do it. I guess maybe not easily, but you did it. Yeah, it all went well, and you know, it led to a victory. So that's that's all we can hope for. That's one of the great things about this kind of work. Every day is truly different. Every campaign is different. And you're able to leverage your, you know, over a decade of experience doing this with each campaign. That's, that's incredibly helpful. So what advice would you give to our listeners who represent companies trying to stave off activists? Oh, sure. I would be, I would be happy to share some suggestions. I think I would put them into four broad categories. So takeover assessment, legal defenses, takeover team, and then engagement. So first, Take a look at the company the same way that an activist would. And ideally do so before there is an activist knocking at the door. And take a look at everything. Take a look at the company's financial and operational performance, strategic plan, company structure and organization, ownership and shareholder base, communication strategy, environmental and social and governance factors, and corporate governance, and then see how the company compares to its peers. It's it's an initial step, but it's very helpful in assessing of how likely activism is and what actions the company may want to proactively implement. Second, I would say review existing takeover defenses. Take a look at the company's certificate of incorporation, bylaws, and its corporate governance and procedures. It's surprising how many companies, especially smaller companies, still don't have rudimentary protections in their governance documents. For example, some companies still don't have advanced notice bylaws, which would require an activist to provide notice to the company of the activist intent to make director nominations or shareholder proposals at the shareholders meeting. And for the companies that do have such bylaws, they often they often haven't been reviewed for a while, they're outdated, and they don't provide sufficient information about the director nomination to the company. 
and that's not just advanced notice bylaws. It's also it's also about the ability to elect or remove directors, so board vacancies, to amend the certificate of incorporation or bylaws, to act by written consent, call a special meeting, and so forth. So companies should always be thinking about what they have and you know how current governance is changing and make sure that, that they align in order to help stave off an activist. Absolutely. I think a lot of companies still have first-generation, so-called first-generation bylaws, and now we're, now we're not even on the second or the third generation. So they just, these documents evolve, and case law regarding them evolves, so the protections that, that were adequate 10 years ago may be very much out of date right now. And, you know, we also see provisions in these documents that are sometimes internally inconsistent, or they are incorrectly described in the proxy statement, Sometimes they include it in the wrong document and they're not enforceable. Sometimes they conflict with state law or just don't work from the technical perspective. So it's it's very much worth the time to review what the company already has and um, just assess what may need to be added or amended. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and the next I, next I can't emphasize enough of having the right team in place. Oftentimes the company has really good corporate counsel, investor relations professional, and even a proxy advisor. But if these professionals haven't dealt with activism or contested solicitations on a regular basis, the company tends to be at a disadvantage right from the start. So we see tactical mistakes. We see not appreciating nuances between contested and uncontested solicitations and differences in state law and engagement engagement mistakes as well. Sometimes sometimes those errors are quite rudimentary as they relate to the meeting or proxy process. So the worst that can happen is the company may have to wait longer to clear the SEC's review process may have to remail its proxy materials or to reschedule a shareholders meeting. But uh, but sometimes mistakes can be more serious too and they can lead to a lost election. So I think it's it's worthwhile working with somebody who has done it before and has done it more than once. And then my final suggestion would be to engage with the activist. I think it's natural for the companies to have the reaction to fight and to fight at all costs or just to go through the emotions of the engagement. But meaningful, good state engagement leads to much better results over time. Activists can have good ideas and they can bring the skills to the table that benefit all shareholders. Of course, there are also times when activism is a disruption and it interferes with the company's strategic plan, especially if the company hasn't had enough time to carry out the plan. But I would say that even even in those cases, good faith engagement most of the time is advisable. Because at the end of the day, even if the company wins a proxy fight this year, it doesn't mean that the activists will not be there next year. Yeah, in my experience with activists, I've had two separate ones at two different public companies where I've worked. Um, one was it was more engaging with the activists, and the activists took a board seat. Um, didn't stay for a full year, but 
it wasn't a, an all-out campaign. And the second experience I've had is where it looked like we might be getting an activist and then the company did a transformational merger. And then the activists just sort of decided that wasn't the right time. But in both cases, engagement seemed to be the big driver on doing something successfully. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes you may find out that the goals of the company and the activists, they really aligned. Perhaps just the communication communications weren't there to begin with. Or you can also test to see how, how developed the activist plans are or how much flexibility there is in those plans. Sometimes the time horizon is for the expectations is longer than it may have appeared initially. So definitely, definitely worth the time to engage. And probably engage with your other shareholders too, right? Not just that activist, but gauging oh, how absolutely. others feel. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And how others feel about settling with the activists too, for example. Right, right. So we've seen um, some activists lately taking more interest in ESG, environmental, social, and governance issues, and um, sort of this broad conversation that's happening about the purpose of the corporation and the direction that corporate governance generally is heading. And so we asked this question of everybody who comes on the podcast, and we're wondering what you think women in the corporate governance field can add to that current conversation on the societal role of companies. That's a great question. As, as you say, ESG issues and social issues in particular are becoming increasingly more prominent, and I would expect them to take a more central role in activism going forward including in campaigns for board representation. Mm -hmm. I think there are very many different ways to look at ESG and very many different measuring sticks for ESG. But at its core, it's all about building a better company, a company that operates smarter, that's more efficient, that's more agile, that manages risk better, has happier employees. And that by doing all those things, ultimately, builds more more value for all shareholders. So there are very few women in shareholder activism, but many of us in corporate governance. And I think I think each of us brings a unique perspective that's shaped by our background and our experiences to date. Sometimes we may be in the room and see things somewhat differently than others in the room. And then we can use that voice to add to and shape the conversation. I think it's absolutely fascinating to be part of this area, rapidly evolving area right now. And I think all of us in corporate governance can bring a lot to the table. It is absolutely fascinating to be part of this. And it is evolving, as you said. Um, and so we'll continue to evolve. Yeah, the next 10 years will be amazing. Well, thank you for sharing your perspectives. That was really fascinating, Yurgita. And so we appreciate you joining us. And thank you to everyone who's listening right now. And please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Thank you for inviting me.